This is the Enneagram 8 Podcast, and we're here to take you inside the armor. We're really grateful for this community that has stuck with us through this intense 8 journey. It's meant a lot. If you'd like to support us by donating to our podcast, at the end of every episode's show notes, there's a link. If you click that, it'll take you right to our donation page. So please consider doing that, and thanks again. Celeste is the last 847 interview that we'll be doing this season. As I had expected, she had so many good words around what it's like to be us. She said that one time, a guy she knew told her that she was a non-joiner. I hadn't heard that word before, but I could just picture the reality of that in the lives of eights that have that kind of loner, introspective four tacked on. We're in the group, but that doesn't mean we've actually joined it. She also says, we have no tolerance for cognitive dissonance. And I thought, "Uh uh-huh, that's for sure. If it doesn't make sense, and it doesn't fit, we're not going to smile and pretend that it does. And she reminded me about how grateful I am for being able to access seven, which means that we wake up every morning absolutely dazzled by the day. There's no such thing as being bored with an 847. Between the 8 drive to do and keep moving, the 4's contentment with splashing around in the deep depths of our thoughts and emotions contentedly all day long, and the 7's playful restlessness to jump at whatever opportunity presents itself. We've got to be some of the most carpe diem individuals on Earth. I've actually noticed that our tri-type, they're the most eager to be interviewed. (laughs) I haven't had to chase you guys down. You come to me. That is so not a surprise. That's not at all. No, it's like uh, the interviews, the whole premise is tell us about your inner life. And we're like, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's all I we was think born about for this. Yeah, exactly. I have all the words and all the feelings. I know exactly what to say. So why don't you tell me like how you even, you know, came to realize this is for sure. You could start with this eight, but then explain like how you knew this was your tri-type. Okay, so I found out about the Enneagram from a friend who thought that I was a one. So I took a little online test and it said that I was an eight. And I read the description and it said people with this personality type are essentially unwilling to be controlled. And I said, oh, hell no. And I Mm -hmm. took the test again. Right. And it said, you're an eight. And I was like, I will not let this test control me. And so I took the (laughs) test a third time and read through and had a couple of close friends and family read through. And every one of them said, this is you, Celeste. This is... Which kind of forced me to take a closer look at myself. And then my seven wing was the next obvious thing, just because I have a need for play and fun and adventure. And and then I didn't know about Tri-Type until your podcast. And I had a really hard time figuring out which heart center I was living out of. Once again, as soon as I stopped and took inventory of the four, it was obvious that uh-huh. and, and the four, I think, is the most introverted of the two, three, four. It is. And yes, I have a really strong introverted side that kind of has been hard for me to name. And I think it's because the seven is so extroverted. So once I got that four piece, I felt like it really rounded out my understanding of myself. And I found it mm-hmm. really helpful. 
I find the eight and the seven bully the four. Do you agree? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they absolutely. really, really mock and bully the four. There is something about me that hates how introverted I, I can be and how weirdly watchful and quiet. Yes. And the seven's like, meh, meh, meh. <laughs> and the eight's like, suck it up. <laughs> and I just don't want to. Totally. I don't want to. I'm busy feeling feelings. And also, I find that for the most part, all of us have trouble with the heart center in tri-type because we have a trouble trouble with the heart center period right oh my god I don't want to hear that but it's true (laughs) so they just they immediately know their head center yeah 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 fine that's respectable but they're like ew I don't want to be a two ew I don't want to be a three I don't want to be a four (laughs) a hundred percent so it's like you got to pick your poison sorry So I would say, first and foremost, I am a free spirit. I am in a six-year relationship that is pretty non-conventional. And what's funny, I listened to Lav's interview, and she said a similar thing. My boyfriend and I have two dogs and two cats. I am an elementary school teacher, so I've taught second, third, and fourth grade. And next year, I'll be teaching fifth and sixth. And kind of the background of how I got there, I went to school and studied economics and politics. And I was really interested and aware of how economic systems prevent certain people from accessing power. And I was actually in a PhD program to get my doctorate in economics. And I felt so powerless. I felt like it was a lot of research and a lot of sitting in a room where nobody saw the fruits of my labor. Mm -hmm. And I had worked at a boys and girls club in my undergrad. And I thought how powerful and impactful it is to work with young people. So that's what I do for work. Your favorite ages to teach? What would you say? The older the kids are, the more I enjoy them. Mm-hmm. Me too. I've always said that. There's something about us being intrigued by their complexity. And we like that they're starting to be independent. Like that's appealing. Yes. Little kids are needy and we don't love that. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes, and we exactly. can handle the sass. Like that's not intimidating. No, 100%. <laughs> I get that. I always said I was like excited for my kiddos. Like I loved every part of it, but I really was happy when they became teenagers, which is not what you normally hear. You know, people moan about it and I'm like, they are so much more interesting. (laughs) Totally. And my, my number one goal as an educator is to raise empowered kids. And so it's hard to empower, you know, a five-year-old, 12-year-old. You can, trust me. (laughs) Eight mother, I can even empower a (laughs) five-year-old. (laughs) if you were to describe what it's like inside you like inside your body inside your head inside your heart so the first word is probably aliveness I feel like my inner life is incredibly rich and complex and deep and I'm never bored you know even if I'm just sitting by myself without my phone I'm not bored because (laughs) there's so much going on inside I would say that I have a strong drive toward freedom and really strong intuition and instinct of knowing what of knowing what to move towards, what feels like it will give me that feeling, that sense of openness and joy. Do you also have a sense of what to not move towards? Oh, absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Aaron and I were just talking about that. And then um, how do people from the outside, what have you heard said about you? And what is your perception of like how they're perceiving you from the outside? 
So the word I heard used about me most often from a very small age, mom still uses this word to this day, is feisty, which I've had I've had to um, have my own process of understanding what that means. But I did, I asked people who know me, and so some words that they said are fearless, creative, funny, multi-talented, determined, energetic, and sociable. You actually brought up something that I haven't talked about with the others yet, but I think it's true. Well, the first is that we're never bored. So thank you for that. That is super, super true. I wake up every morning and I'm like excited for the day. It doesn't matter. I just know the day's going to hold something. Even if it is just sitting still, you're right. It's like a wonderland of possibilities is what it feels like. But then the other, it's the multi-talented. I feel like we really have a diverse set of things that we're above average in and like knock out of the park. And I don't know whether that's because we're so passionate. So we like, and the seven keeps us moving maybe from thing to thing, but we become really passionate about that thing because of the eight and the four. And so we get quite a good at a variety. Does that feel right? Oh yeah. And I'll, I'll dive deep. So I'm an athlete, but I'm also a musician and I've dabbled in all these things and gone deep to build a skill set. And I think that my life is just richer for it because Mm -hmm. every endeavor brings some gifts with it, brings new learning, brings new life. And yeah, Yeah. I love it. Okay. So some key things that stand out about this tri-type we can dig a little more into. So you mentioned unconventional already. So how does that fit? In what ways do you find you just are the the fish going in the other direction? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, you know, I, I had a coworker a few years ago and he, as he got to know me, he said, I have a word for you. And his word was non-joiner. Ah, yeah. And as soon as he said that, I knew he was right. And so I think my subtype is social and it's made it really tricky to kind of figure out how all these parts fit together because... Mm-hmm. I love people and I'll be part of a group, but there is always a point where I know I can't go further with the group and I see other people who can really, they get their identity from the group and they can commit themselves, but I always need an out. I always need mm-hmm. to know where the exit is. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I just yesterday interviewed another one of us, 847, and interestingly, also social and also had previously been identified as a one. So there must be something one-ish about the social of this tri-type. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually dig into that a little bit. She said the same thing. There's like a little bit of a, a complexity involved in the fact that she's hungry for the group and in one sense at ease, but she is a nonconformist. So she, there's going to be a level of in in the in crowd she won't get. And the four always makes us feel a little bit loner-ish. Like we, we just do kind of feel a little haunted <laughs> by the loneliness. And it's just the reality. Yes. Yeah, that's definitely my reality. And I think in a way I feel the most ease and the most peace when I'm on my own. Because I know that I won't be required to conform. And yes. that allows me freedom to do what I need to do. It's complicated. Yes. Yeah, my um, my boyfriend is a nine, and I feel like we pair really well because he understands that need for space. And, mm-hmm. you know, the nines have a little bit of a, they're able to, to give the space that someone with 
our tri-type needs. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think other types could really feel hurt or offended by that need to be outside a little bit. Absolutely. As you know, probably by now I'm married to a nine and it, it does work quite well. When the nine is unhealthy, he's basically a unmovable, stubborn, laggy kind of rock. Yes. Right? And when they're not doing well, that's what they do. That's how they fight is they just stand still and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, they don't Which is infuriating, infuriating for an eight. <laughs> Especially with seven. Like how much more forward driving can you be than that? Yes. Any fights we've had have to do with that. <laughs> same. <laughs> That's so funny. There's these universal things. Oh, yeah, yeah. Same. Yeah, for sure. And and I'm always like uh, definitely assuming the worst. If he didn't move fast enough, I'm like, you're doing that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like, I'm actually really tired. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've had that exact same uh, conversation in my relationship. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, yeah, we got to learn. We just got to learn to grow, right? So yeah, we've talked a little bit about like one of the biggest words for this tri-type is passionate. Just how do you feel that in your body? It really is all consuming, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And you know, some days I'm jealous of people who are dispassionate because <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that's like. And I don't think I'm going to get to know what that's like in this (laughs) No, not a chance. Yeah, not a chance. That would be handy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. To be able to turn it on. But we can't. No, my my dad is a five. And he is very cool and calm and collected. And I think I've been very (laughs) open and pretty transparent my whole life. So you must be probably as reactive as I am at least on the inside it might not spill out but yes do you hate it sometimes you know I feel like the more I dive into the Enneagram the more it helps me find acceptance for parts of myself that I previously rejected and I think the deeper I dive the more I can sort of integrate all these different parts of what it means to be me yeah reactive is one thing that I really can't integrate like I (laughs) sorry like I can't do it I I don't like that I lose my thinking it's a real problem and when I am most passionate it's about things that really matter and it's things I don't want to give bad thinking to and so what I've learned is what I need to do is just say I can't talk about this right now I'll come back to it in a minute, we just got to pause here because I'm not going to do it justice. But that feels weak. So, you know, I don't want to do it. But yeah, that also feels wise. And I, I think I've yeah. had a similar journey of the older I get being able to pause for acting. Yes. Um, but I also recognize that there is a place for action. And sometimes we're the ones that need to make it happen. Oh, for sure. Oh, and yes. that's part of the that's part of reactivity. You're if right. You learn how to do it wisely. Yeah. No, you're right. Reactivity is more than one thing. I have this imprint in my head of being reactive in conversation. And that's right. what I'm feeling right now when I'm saying it. Um, but you're totally right. Like reactivity when it comes to having to step into something that other people aren't stepping into is really the thing that saves lives, right? We are the ones who would run into the building to save the person and right. it's probably true because if you stop to think about it you'd be like that's really stupid that's not gonna end well but but someone, someone has, has to, to do it. it yeah 
I definitely want to impart meaning. I, I feel, and maybe this is that four sense of lack, but I, I feel sometimes sloppy in my words, or I feel like I wish I had the ability to take what I feel or sense or know on the inside and bring it out in a way that is accessible for more people. Mm. Um, but that, that drive for meaning um, and expression too is, is a constant for me. Does it come out in your music? Like I just happen to be a writer, so I do have the words, but do you find that you just spend it? I try to write too, and I'm a talker. I mean, I have some relationships where deep friendships where I can sort of talk through things and maybe I'm still looking for that platform of, what makes the most sense for me to share my truth. And does it matter to you how many people? Do you find like you're just as satisfied with one meaningful impartation or um, because of the SO you want it to be a larger platform? No, I think just the power of one one other person bearing witness and really getting what I'm saying is so satisfying. So no, I don't think the audience number matters it's yeah. just the authenticity of the connection Erin with her three she's looking to make it a business right she's always looking for the actual business side of things and I'm like it doesn't matter and she's like yes it does <laughs> which is the, the perfect partnership there then <laughs> totally except she's kind of indisposed so yeah no money is happening but lots of meaningful connection is happening <laughs> story of my life if she was in charge we'd be like we'd be rolling in it by now (laughs) (laughs) we're known as being the most in need of freedom where have you bucked up against places where you felt trapped and and what does that look like when you need to bust out oh it's not always pretty Uh -uh. (laughs) um i i am still looking for the graceful way to step away from something that's no longer serving me but i think as eights we don't have much tolerance for cognitive dissonance Mm -hmm. and so the moment i realize that something's not working i can't force myself to stay, you know, and so I walked away from lots of things. I've walked away from the the religion I was raised in. I walked away from a marriage and there's a certain bravery that I think my eight gives me of being able to step into the unknown and trust that I'll be okay. Four is okay with that as well. Well, that's a double whammy there. Exactly. It's like being okay with the emotional unknown. Eight is okay with the actual physical unknown. So there's the body and the emotions that get covered in that category. Yeah. If something is not a fit, I feel like also as an eight, we have a lot of intuition and a lot of instinct. And I think I feel things on a gut level sooner than other types. Mm Mm-hmm and just know in my gut that it's not for me or that it's too confining. And I will always make that move towards the unknown Mm -hmm. rather than hold on to something that is clear to me is not working. No, that fits. Do you relate to like seeing things in patterns? It's like the creative imprinting way we do things. Like I tend to feel an imprint of how something or someone feels and I like file it away. And then when I come across it again, I'm like, ooh, that felt like that did. And then, you know what I mean? 
And so, I mean, the good side of that is we can then hold up to people in that category the things we've learned about that category. The downside is we can peg people in categories that they don't want to be pegged in or, you know. Totally. And and even blind ourselves a little bit to the more complex nuance of what's going on. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I've had to... Um, learning to find and pause with nuance has been definitely a, <laughs> a task for me as I've matured in life because oh, yes. it does not come naturally. I agree. That is definitely something I've had to work on. <laughs> it's uh, the art of asking questions instead of making statements about the thing we saw, like the pattern we saw. Do you find you do this? Oh, someone else I knew did this. Like it's, it's all about the framing. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I definitely have a lot of moments of synchronicity, especially when I am free and I feel like connected to the flow of life. And mm -hmm. one little story that pops to mind, I took a vacation to Paris and I was all by myself. I didn't bring my phone and I would go for a walk every night and they had uh, vendors and I was drawn to this painting of these ele elephants, like from the story of the bar and Celeste, which mm -hmm. is my name. They have little words around them and little words in French. And I just had to have it. And I bought it and took it home and looked it up online to figure out what book it was from. And the page that went with it that I did not have or see said, these are the elephants who are trumpeting away the causes of misery from Celesteville. So just a moment like that, where, you know, just something comes into your life and you feel like this was meant for me. I feel like that happens all the time. I think that's also that pattern thing of our tri-type is we see these things. I don't yes. think some people don't notice them, but we see them everywhere all the time. You called it synchronicity. I call it resonance. Because you know how <laughs> in music, when one sound wave gets matched by another, it increases and the volume rises. And it, there's something about when something imprints on something else and they start to line up and it becomes like a megaphone of a message. Yes. Think, yeah. We're yes. built for that. We're built for that. And then we say it. That's the kind of thing we speak out loud. We're like, did you notice this thing? Totally. And and numbers, like certain numbers that are significant that seem to always show up. Oh, yeah. Just, just paying attention to different shapes and symbols that will. That's right. I think we notice these things. Maybe yeah. more than most. Yeah. Another thing that can happen with us, and tell me if you find this, is that need to get things out. The eight kind of overexpresses a lot of the time, just as a way of stopping other people in their tracks. And then the four just needs to express their inner lives to get across, you know, who they are because they feel so misunderstood. So overall, there's just this sense that we can give too much of ourselves away. We're like the least mysterious people. You know, the first thing I thought of when you said that, um, so my dad is a five, he, he has no need to get it out. You know, he can keep it all inside. Yeah. And then my mom is a two. And so she she just has a need to keep everybody happy. And so my whole life, my mom and dad would say to me, like, why did you have to say that? Why, <laughs> why are you expressing that? And I, from a young age, felt like I can't not give this away. I can't not say what's at the forefront. I know. It um, feels urgent. It feels very urgent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And so I think we came at it from a place of not understanding where the other person was coming from. Yeah. And like I said, I, in ways I'm envious of my dad, of his ability to be calm and cool and, and to keep things, you know, to keep a lot to himself, mm -hmm. but it's just not in me. Yeah. 
I, I don't have a poker face. And so if, <laughs> if I'm going through something, it's hard for me to hide. If I think something, it's hard for me to hide. Yes. Same. Do you also use humor to defend against hurt? A thousand percent. Yes. <laughs> humor is, um, I mean, it's a huge part of my life when I'm healthy, but definitely um, as a defense mechanism, there's nothing better. <laughs> yes. I'm sure someone could come along and show me a better way, but <laughs> I definitely use humor. Yeah. It's, it's a blend of all these things that are doing it, the all three of the types, but we appear really good humored and and pretty comfortable in our own skin from the outside but we're kind of like little kids on the inside in a lot of ways and uh because we don't want anyone to really know that we tend to dazzle everyone by broadcasting like certain big things and then if a nerve gets touched we'll just like slather it in a joke (laughs) or (laughs) self-deprecation or something like that right yeah and it definitely masks the hurt and maybe even softens the hurt yes but the hurt is still there definitely that's right the gift of it is we don't ever let ourselves get so rigid that we break ever we manage to bend enough and that's what that gives us is the ability to overcome in that regard but if we don't go back to revisit the hurt and really think why is this even still a thing then we're not going to get over that. Yes. You know, and that takes big girl pants um, to do that. <laughs> but if we're yeah. tap, tap dancing and running around like, <laughs> having adventures, um, yeah, it's not going to happen. So you kind of have to sit still and really work it through sometimes. Do you find that because you are so specific in your likes and dislikes, like so specific in your passions that other people feel like they don't belong with you because they're not as passionate about those things as you are? Does your social temper that? Because you always kind of have your arms wrapped around the whole group. So my SX makes me a little bit, I think people feel like they're on the out just by being with me because I'm so me. Yes. And I think, I think that may be part of where my friend um, thought that I was one because I think ones are also very particular. And so there is a deliberateness. It's the combination of passion and being deliberate and being decisive the eight brings that decisive where I know what I like and what I don't like and I am very particular in things from aesthetic things to how I spend my time like yeah and I definitely think it can alienate people because you have to (laughs) set that aside a little bit in order to you know adapt and bring in somebody else and I'm Mm -hmm. often unwilling to compromise on I know on those sorts of things well it feels wrong in your body like really really wrong are you like me where like the wrong decor or vibe in a place you're like I'm this is ruined (laughs) absolutely (laughs) and I'll spend time making things the way that I want them and ah that feels right totally yeah, you're right. In that sense, we are not adaptable. Like we, we're not good at that. Not whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> and that sucks. Like it sucks for us because we're only at home in environments that are so deeply connected to us and our specific, you know, loves and passions. But it, it's a real problem for other people too when we show it. That we're oh, not absolutely. I feel that on a on a really deep level. I know. And that's one thing I do wish I could turn it on and off. I do. Like if I could choose to turn something on and off, I do wish I could have that when you can align with people really naturally. Anyway, there's a word. We don't have that. 
<laughs> no, no. And you know, I see it in my in my boyfriend and my nine friends, and I I'm definitely envious of it. But I also think you end up. I mean, we're creatives, and so yes. we end up creating a life that fits our needs. Yes. And so in my case, you know, I'm a teacher. So when I'm in my classroom, it's my domain. I've decorated it. I've got systems and structures that work for me. Mm-hmm. Am I the best at co-teaching with someone else? Or not? <laughs> no. <laughs> and then just, you know, my home and, and the way that I've designed my life is to kind of allow room for how specific Mm-hmm. I need things to be. I don't know if that's good or bad or neutral. Well, have you found, because this is what I think happens. It happens with me anyway, is um, you create an environment that is just indelibly you. It's you. But what happens is certain people, they come into that environment and they love it. It is yes. a space that makes them dream. It makes them remember old dreams. It makes them want to go home and create. It makes them feel like wonder or something because it is different. It's just different than like your typical beige suburban house. You know, it is a place that has been steeped in creativity from its inception. So they go away feeling like it's time to create. Absolutely. I think those people come in to the environment and I have totally experienced that. On the flip side is the type, and I think this, I think twos are kind of guilty of this, of the type that wants to come in and meddle and change. Mm. Oh, well, what if you put that there? Well, you don't really want to paint that wall green. (laughs) And I just buck at that, you know, this sort of wanting to meddle and come in and advise and give advice I didn't ask for. Oh, I don't respond well. (laughs) I think I've been protected from this because that has never happened. And I'm telling you, if it did, it would not go well. Actually, the person that loves my house the most is a two. But the likelihood is that my aesthetic matches hers. You know, it's that it just naturally matches or something. So I don't actually know what it would be like to encounter a two that has an aesthetic that wants to like meddle with mine. But (laughs) what would you say is the hardest thing about eight? But then what's the best thing? I think there is a lot of loneliness involved. I think eights are often misunderstood. I think because of our fearlessness and our impulsivity, we are often willing to put ourselves out there and go first, Mm -hmm. but there's a loneliness in that. Yes. And there's people that will talk about us that that don't understand it, types that that struggle to understand that. I think we might be one of the favorite kinds of people to be talked about behind our backs. (laughs) But then, so then the flip side of that, that what I love about being an eight, I think Eights are change makers. I think eights have a a wonderful visionary quality. We we can see the big picture and we have good instinct and intuition and we are brave enough to make things happen. I think that is so necessary for building the kind of world that we all want to live in. If we are messengers and we're trying to impart things, what have you found yourself kind of trying to impart into the world over and over? I think right now... My message is to to show others different possibilities for their lives, to mm-hmm. model authenticity and really give permission to everyone around me to not have to box themselves in, but to recognize a wide variety, like a really wide range of lives that are worthy and valuable and worth pursuing. And what would you say to all the eights listening? Eights come with a lot of intensity. And I think the most powerful thing 
for me, the most powerful lesson has been learning to incorporate some type of intentional rest. I think eights can be prone to burnout. And so having some practice where you pull that energy inside and nourish the ground. Someone said recently, not much grows on jagged rock. And so I think just taking that time to rest and nourish our roots will just allow our intensity to thrive and flourish without kind of just burning out. Is your like mindful of nature right now? Because mine totally is like, that is how I do that. Yes. Oh, so much. That's it for today. We hope by now you've realized there's a lot more going on under the surface. And you'll continue to follow along as we take you inside the armor. Okay, so three words to describe you. Energetic, vibrant, strong. Do you have any tattoos? At least four, and I'm interested in getting more. So I love odd numbers and prime numbers. I've got three stars, and I've got the number 13, and a nod to outside the box. What makes you cry? Everything. (laughs) Um, Animals (laughs) and children and children's literature. How would you describe your happy place? On a mountain trail with absolute freedom and perfect weather. Do you have an animal that suits you? Elephants are matriarchal. They are powerful and peaceful all in one. And they're just the largest land animal. And I feel that. If you had to be stuck in one outfit for the rest of your life, what would it be? Something with layers so that I continue to have options, you know, (laughs) like a a really cute jacket that I could also tie around, around my waist. And I have to have big earrings. So I would definitely accessorize jewelry, red lipstick. I know you didn't ask about makeup and maybe a a neutral black with colorful accessories and jackets and bright shoes. Identify with a fiction character. There's a a movie. It's called Beast of the Southern Wilds. Okay. And it's gorgeous. And there's a little girl in there who kind of has to live on her own And she is pure eight. And I cannot watch that movie without crying. She is such a brave Mm -hmm. little girl. I think we're really done in, especially when we see little eights, because it just makes us think about how fast we grew up, maybe. Okay, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Being able to switch from warm to cool, (laughs) having that capacity. Maybe it's just because we've been talking about it. But I think, you know, it'd be fun to be able to be the cool one in the room. Right. Like um, have climate control around your body. Yeah. What is your morning drink of choice? Strong espresso. None of this weak coffee stuff. Yes. (laughs) Agreed. And then how about your drink of choice at night? Bourbon with ginger beer and lime. 